Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Good to Go Football. We're so happy you've joined us today. My name is Jordan Jenks. I'm here with my co-host, Craig Titcher. Just so everybody knows, we are doing this remotely, practicing social distance. Hope everybody else is doing the same and staying safe and smart. Craig, how you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm uh, enjoying the time with family. I know we don't, we're not working as much as we we were a couple weeks ago, but it's uh, pretty nice to be at home with some family time. I know we're supposed to be avoiding uh, the general public and everything. So I know in the military and everything, we take advantage of our family time. So it's been nice and it's been relaxing just to stay at home and read about football all day because that's the only sport that's going on. Yeah, definitely. I agree. No complaints here. Well, this is indeed episode nine. And we got a few topics we're going to try and cover here today. First of all, we're going to do a free agency update. We're going to jump into a question about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's legacy. And we'll close with a sort of a Twitter controversy that's taking place right now as far as who is the best quarterback in the AFC East, Josh Allen or Sam Darnold. So I hope you guys are as pumped as we are. We're going to kick off this free agency update. What are some big headliners you got, Craig? So a big one uh, that went down last week, uh, we didn't get to talk about it, was Todd Gurley getting cut by the Rams. I know uh, Clay Matthews was also cut that day, but uh, they let go of their prized running back. And he's only 25 years old. He seemed a lot older than me for some reason. I know he's only been in the league for what, since 2015, but yeah. I kept thinking he was older than 25 years old. So, uh, But he signed uh, for one year, $6 million. Did you know that he leads the NFL with touchdowns, 58 touchdowns since he came in the league in 2015? I did not know that. It's it's wild. And I knew he was scoring a lot when he first came in, and then he had the big fantasy year two, what, two years ago now. But I know with the injury stuff with his knees and everything, and then they were limiting his snaps uh, into that playoff run, and then last year too. But uh, he's also one yard behind Zeke uh, for total yards since he came in too with 5,404. So he's – pretty much the most productive back in the NFL since he joined the league. So to go to Atlanta for a one-year deal, going back to where he played his college ball in the state of Georgia, yeah, that could be a big win for Atlanta. Yeah, it definitely could be. And it's $6 million. I mean, it's not that bad to bring in a guy. I think he's a former MVP or at least an MVP candidate. Yeah, he's had some solid seasons. Like, yeah, it, extremely productive. I know when you listen to talk radio in this area of Southern California, Eric Dickerson is always busting his chops, and he does. He's got a lot of miles on him for a 25-year-old running back. Usually, you don't start to see those guys really wear down until they're 30. That's the typical shelf life for a running back. But no, been very productive. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays out there. I think it'll be nice for Matt Ryan to have a guy like that in the backfield and somebody he can dump it off to in the flat. Exactly. He seemed pretty excited to go out there as well, too. And uh, hopefully, I think it was knee arthritis that he's dealing with. And yeah, it's pretty mm. young to have knee arthritis at age 25. But like you said, his college career, too, he had a lot of miles on there. So we'll see. We'll see how it works out. But I, I like it for Atlanta. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you can go wrong there. Another big one I saw that I think came out yesterday was finally our boy Robbie Anderson landed with the Carolina Panthers. What do you think of that? So, yeah, the the connection right there uh, with uh, Matt Rule and everything. So he had that connection. He also played with Teddy Bridgewater for that training camp before uh, they shipped him off to uh, New Orleans that year. So Robbie Anderson not going back to the Jets. I, I know we'll hit on that later when we talk about Sam Darnold, but I was shocked. I thought they would do what they could to keep him there. But going to Carolina where he's got some familiarity, um, and joining back with his old coach, Matt Rule, I think that's a 
a good connection. They also brought in PJ Walker too. I know he probably won't see the field too much with Teddy there, but uh, that's another connection to Matt Rule from college. So that's pretty. They're, they're doing stuff that makes sense for Matt Rule and some uh, comfort and maybe familiarity with the Matt Rule uh, signing so far. I think that's kind of a big deal there that you touch on the familiarity with these coaches coming into a new situation, perhaps unfamiliar. Robbie Anderson steps in there where there's definitely a receiving threat void apart from uh, Christian McCaffrey. They lose Greg Olson in free agency. They really haven't had anybody else on that team since that year they went to the Super Bowl and they had um, Ted Ginn was a deep threat. And I'm not saying he's an incredible wide receiver, but Robbie Anderson steps in there and can help fill that void, that downfield threat. And I think it'll take some of the pressure off DJ Moore as well. DJ Moore was coming into himself. He had yeah, a solid, he had a solid year, but I think this will help DJ Moore um, because w- what were the other targets beside Christian McCaffrey and Greg Olson isn't the Greg Olson of old. So I think, I think Robbie Anderson coming in is going to help out DJ Moore a lot. And I guess the big news we were talking about, I guess we just skipped right over Cam Newton getting cut yesterday officially. Yeah. So I, we, you and I knew, we talked about how we, we knew he was going to be gone somehow, some way, but uh, they tried to orchestrate a trade and that didn't happen. So, Cam Newton leaving there, that was uh, that was big news yesterday as well, too. Yeah, so many things going on between these two teams, the Redskins and Carolina Panthers. Redskins go ahead and trade their starting cornerback, Quentin Dunbar, a really good player, to the Seahawks for just a fifth rounder. What a steal for the Seahawks. Exactly. I, I was impressed with that trade for Seattle. I mean, he's only, what, $3 million cap hit right now, and that's what he wanted a new contract from Washington. It sounded like Washington wasn't going to budge especially after signing uh, Kendall Fuller again. So, uh, yeah. yeah, they trade him over to Seattle, and I think he can just continue his great career right there and uh, go into that Pete Carroll defense and be fine over there. Oh, yeah, he'll be great in that defense. I think, you know, we're starting to see who is a riverboat Ron guy and who is not. You see um, the Redskins also acquire quarterback Kyle Allen in a trade from the Panthers. Now, what do you make of this? Is he more or less – sort of a camp arm, if you will, fire insurance type of policy, or is he actual camp competition for a certain Dwayne Haskins? I honestly feel it's camp competition. Wow. I feel that uh, Rivera, he, he played 10 games in Rivera last year. He started 12 last year, 10 were for Rivera before he got fired. Yeah, he had 17 touchdowns, 16 picks, but, I mean, Rivera's been able, been able to work with him since he came in the league as an undrafted free agent in 2018. So Rivera has that familiarity that we keep talking about. And maybe it's an insurance policy for him, or maybe it's just he feels comfortable. And if Haskin comes out the gate struggling like he did, or maybe they get to camp and it's just Kyle Allen wants it more. I feel like he has a legitimate shot as being the, the week one starter for Washington, just depending on what goes down at camp. Wow. That would be something to see because they, the Redskins do have draft capital and Haskins. It'd be really neat to see um, how this shakes out if they maybe trade Haskins, a la Josh Rosen in the Arizona Cardinals last year, if he's really does not like Haskins for whatever reason and wants to move on from him. But we've talked about that in previous episodes. So they could also be a motivator for Haskins. Maybe they're bringing him in. Hopefully it lights a fire under Haskins and says, look, it, we brought a guy in that I know can start for me. Mm. Uh, let's see what you got. How about you come to camp ready to go? Uh, let's let's forget about you know it was a rookie year you didn't have a lot around you but let's forget about that let's move forward maybe it is just a motivator too and it's a cheap motivator it's not going to really break the bank for Washington we've talked about the picks that we feel is fifth and sixth and all of them above like they really didn't break the bank to get them so maybe maybe, trade a fifth to try to light a fire up and then go from there 
Yeah, that will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out. And it will be a test of the psychology of uh, Dwayne Haskins. Definitely not as strong or as bold of a move for Riverboat Ron to bring in Kyle Allen as it would have been to bring in Cam Newton, who I don't see him really going anywhere and wanting to be a backup at this point in his career. So sort of a um, soft nudge, if you will. But on that, though, like my friend Devante, he's one of our uh, loyal listeners. He was just talking to me about the show. Uh, he asked me yesterday, where do you think Cam's going to go? I, for the first time, usually I can slot someone somewhere where I think I honestly really don't know. Because I think the Chargers are going to go young. I think they're going to try to get a young quarterback. And they've already committed to Tyra. I know how commitments are in the NFL. but And I don't, I don't know if I could see him in New England either. I don't know if they're going to want to pay whatever he does command. I don't think it's going to be a lot. But I don't know if they're going to want to pay that. I think we're going to get into what Belichick's going to do in a little bit. But I can't see him there either. I really am struggling to figure out where Cam would want to go. It doesn't look like it's going to be as a starting position right now. No, I have a hard time seeing it, too. I mean, he might have to wait until August, you know, for an injury to happen, unfortunately, somewhere, and maybe step in that way, sort of like uh, Jay Cutler to the Dolphins a couple years back. Oh, that does make sense. Good point. But um, the Panthers' quarterback room right now is Teddy Bridgewater, and they have the second-year guy out of West Virginia, Will Greer, who really didn't look that good at all last year when he did play. And then they bring in P.J. Walker, right, from the XFL. Yes, they did. So, That's that Matt Rule connection again. So Yeah, so interesting quarterback room there. Uh, another big free agency pickup here is we saw Emmanuel Sanders land in New Orleans. I really like that. I know uh, you don't really like New Orleans too much, but uh, I think <laughs> I think that's a big pickup, especially for Breeze as he finishes off his career there. I mean, Michael Thomas, yeah, he's going to get his targets. He's going to get his 120 catches a year, but I think uh, they've, they've been throwing to people that aren't on the level of Emmanuel Sanders the last couple of years. No, no offense to everybody they've been throwing to, but I mean, just bringing Emmanuel Sanders and that caliber of a player opposite of Michael, uh, Michael Thomas. I think that's a, that's a big win right there. Yeah, definitely a guy that's going to share some of those targets and maybe pull some coverage away from Michael Thomas at some point during the season. Exactly. Cause you can't, you can't let, you saw him in the Super Bowl If uh, Garoppolo could have hit that pass at the end, I mean, Mm-hmm. Emmanuel Sanders can still play and he's very effective so yeah. I think that's just going to be a good piece for Breeze and Breeze is going to get him the ball oh yeah yeah Breeze spreads it around like no other uh, a big trade went down this last week between um, now and our last episode cornerback Darius Slay moved on from the Detroit Lions to the Eagles for a measly third and fifth round pick what do you think of this pickup for the Eagles I think it's great for the Eagles. They've had a lot of injury uh, problems in their secondary over the last couple of years. So um, bringing in Slay, he's had a great career. I'm pretty sure he has 19 interceptions. I'm pretty sure I read that stat. So if he can just continue his success that he had in Detroit, and I know there's a lot of uh, chemistry issues there with uh, the coach and Matt Patricia. I know a lot's coming out this week, and it just looks like a toxic environment there in Detroit. But, I mean, it's going to be a fresh start for Slay in Philadelphia, and I think Philadelphia has needed this corner for a little while now. Oh, yeah, he'll step right in there. And he's sort of been hidden away from the public eye there in Detroit because no one really, you know, they're not on prime time that much. But um, his talent and everything will definitely shine here in Philadelphia. So good pickup for the Eagles there. I agree. And then uh, we're forgetting to talk about the big thing you called, uh, Melvin Gordon to the Broncos. You want to hit on that? Hey, yeah. No, I just – I think that is a great pickup. And, you know – um, 
we've commented in the past about Nick Fangio and bringing over Pat Shermer, who really excels as an offensive coordinator and the weapons that they have there. Cortland Sutton, I think, going into his third year now. Noah Fant going into his second year, that electric tight end there. Um, you know, now they bring in Melvin Gordon, who they had um, Philip Lindsay and another guy whose name escapes me right now. They had Royce Freeman and uh, Freeman. Yeah. I so think they let Booker a, walk too. So. Yeah, uh, loaded backfield there, but um, Melvin Gordon definitely brings an edge to the running back position. Is a not just a, simply a runner, but also a receiver out of the backfield. So, Shermer, I had a lot of doubts about his creativity last year, but in the past in Minnesota, he did really well in being creative. I, I'd like to see him throw Gordon out in the slot or maybe at the wide receiver position on passing downs and just let him eat up a linebacker or a slot corner or a safety that's too slow for him. So, yeah, definitely they have something going there, and it's definitely a young nucleus uh, led by Drew Locke now. By far, and if they can get the Melvin Gordon 2017, he had 1,600 total yards. It's just you can bring in that into that offense just with all the weapons you talked about. And then I know we've mocked a receiver to them in each of our mock drafts. If they could just keep adding offensive talent, they're going to set Drew Locke up pretty quickly there. Like they can figure out real quick this year if he's their answer or not because they're going to have so much talent around him. And if it gels, they could be onto something. Oh, yeah. I mean, Drew Locke, that's the guy, you know, I would say he had the best arm in that draft class last year. He can make every throw. Uh, the protection is what concerns me. They, they did bring in Graham Glasgow. So I think, you know, as long as they're smart, Elway is smart and in investing in um, offensive line depth, you know, he'll be good. Yeah, because they did lose McGovern, so we'll have to see if that affects him. Yeah, he landed with the Jets, and we can't forget they still have Von Miller. Oh, yes. Who years ago, you know, is doing his best Lawrence Taylor impression. They haven't really heard much about him. And then Bradley Chubb will be returning then from you throw ACL tear, I think. Jarrell Casey as well. I mean, they, they've, they had, they've added there. And then Boye, we've talked about the ads they've had on defense, too. And I, I think they're in the right direction there in Denver. That's a team there to keep your eye on. And the AFC West I would dare say that's the best division in football on paper. It's loaded. You know, loaded. And we've talked at length about the San Diego Chargers and where they're headed. But do you have any more uh, free agent updates? Well, speaking of uh, centers that are leaving, Travis Frederick uh, retired the other night from Dallas. I know in 2018 he missed the season with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, but he came back last year and was very strong for them. I know their their sack numbers came down big time. But – uh. He's decided to call it quits. He said he wanted to play at his highest level, and he feels like he couldn't anymore, which I totally understand. I can't fault the guy taking care of himself, taking care of his family. But uh, they brought back Joe Looney, who did play for him that 2018 season. He was the backup. So we'll see if there's any um, – if they're able to continue what they had last year going or if they're going to revert back. I think it was something like – it was in the teens of the number of sacks that they were able to eliminate last year with just having Frederick back. So um, we'll see if – Hopefully they continue on the same path. I know you don't want to see them successful, but I mean, in that situation, they had a solid line. And uh, just, it it's, uh, sucks that it, just because of something that's off the field pretty much is just slowing a guy down from having a great career. But uh, we'll see how Joe Looney does for them and see how he can protect Dak. Yeah, Travis Frederick was a really good center on an excellent offensive line. And he represents for me sort of a paradigm shift for the Dallas Cowboys in their draft philosophy. I remember he came out in 2013 and he was their first round pick and everybody felt like it was kind of a reach, but he went on to have an excellent career and 
Yeah, we'll see how Dak handles that, losing his starting center. Yeah, we'll see. And then they've committed a lot, obviously, to Cooper and all that. So uh, we'll see what direction they go. But they have they have a plan there in Dallas, and we'll see with Mike McCarthy and everything and how that all plays out in his first year. But it uh, should be interesting to see what Dallas does this year too. Frederick, quite a legacy there in Dallas. And we're about to jump into a pretty heavy topic here in regards to legacy. And the question is, whose legacy is at a greater risk since their departure? Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Do you want to kick this off, Craig, and we can kind of bounce this back and forth? So first and foremost, both of them are first ballot Hall of Famers. Bill Belichick's going to go in as a coach. Tom Brady's going to go in as a quarterback. No doubt about that. So right now, a lot of people think Tom Brady's the best player ever. Okay, I agree. I've seen him beat up on my bills. A lot of people think Bill Belichick's name should be on the Lombardi Trophy. I've heard that kicked around a couple times too. Whether that's a stretch, I don't know. So both of them, they already have a pretty good legacy. I think what it comes down to here is who has a chance to be more successful in these next two years because I can only see Brady playing another two years. And one, they both want to prove that they can do it without each other, I personally feel. I don't know if that's true in real life, but you hear a lot of reporting about it that both of them do want to prove that they can do it without each other. And we do have a track record that I'll get into in a little bit about how each of them has done and how the big difference of having Brady for Belichick has been in his young career. But uh, what are your initial thoughts on the whole thing? I think it's a good question, first of all, and, and I'm not questioning whether they're going to be Hall of Famers or not, and I know their legacy is set, but I think people will ask the question if over the next two years, you know, the Brady with the Buccaneers, they end up going 7-9 and nine or 6-10 and 10 or something and don't make the playoffs. And the same is true for Bill Belichick. Now, he will, just by default, I think, outlast Brady due to the positions and the longevity thereof. But Belichick, let's say he coaches another five years and never makes it back to the playoffs or, you know, is only a wild card or something or never makes it past the first round. I think people will be talking about, hey, these two, they were a perfect fit. And apart from each other, you know, it's questionable. So I think the better question is who has a steeper hill to climb or what do they have to accomplish in order to preserve their legacy where they stand right now? So. Belichick, I think, is in a tougher position to win. And Brady's in a better position to win right now. I totally agree um, with you. I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, so what is it that Belichick has to do? Does he have to make it back to the Super Bowl, you know, to, to prove that he doesn't need Tom Brady? Would that be enough? And then the question for Brady is, does he have to only make it back to the playoffs? I'll lie, Joe Montana. A lot of people, if you asked him, probably wouldn't even know that Joe Montana played for the Kansas City Chiefs, but he did, and he, he led them to the playoffs. So what is it that Brady has to do? You know, what if they miss the playoffs altogether? Will people be saying, you know, he can't win without Belichick? And I think ultimately what this boils down to is how someone feels about what is uh, more, what's the more vital position to success in the NFL. Is it the quarterback or the coach, and I'm kind of reminded when I asked myself that question of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Reid's been a great coach historically, you know, made it to the Super Bowl in 2004 with Donovan McNabb. They lost to the New England Patriots. Finally gets a guy like Mahomes who, as it stands right now, if he keeps playing like he is, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. So what's more important here? He obviously needed a quarterback, and I think Bill Belichick's going to be in the same situation where now he's without a quarterback. I agree. And, I mean, if you look at it, Bill Belichick, third all-time in wins, 304 wins as a coach. 
but 219 of those were with Tom Brady. Just think about that. He's been in the league a long time. Brady, 219 and 64, 75% win percentage. That's outstanding. Incredible. Probably never going to be replicated, to be honest. But Belichick without Brady is 54 and 63. That's a losing record. And that includes the 11 and 5 year he had with Matt Castle. So after after the Brady okay. injury. Okay. And then, so you figure that also includes a suspension where Jimmy G played the two games and Brissett played the two games. So, Which I think they won those. Uh, three no, games, they lost to Buffalo in the one. Uh, and the Buffalo shut them out. Oh. Buffalo <laughs> shut them out in New England. I'll never forget that game. Of course so you would know a, that. That's the Rex Ryan win right there. I think they probably carried them off the field or something. But, uh, oh, the used car salesman. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but also his Cleveland record, he was in five years as a Cleveland head coach, was 36 and 44. So I know. Wow, five years. Yeah, so not having Brady, you can see right there. I mean, yes, he's got his 304 wins. He's a very successful head coach. But Brady was there for so many of them. It's just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, you know, and Drew Bledsoe is nothing to sneeze Not at, at. all. So it's not like he didn't have an excellent quarterback before Brady in New England. Yeah, like we talked about that last episode. He did have a good quarterback yeah. before that. So we'll see where it goes this year. I mean, I honestly believe if they get to the playoffs this year somehow, some way, or even win the AFC East, which I find is very unlikely as each day passes, but I can see him winning coach of the year if he can get him back to the playoffs. I honestly believe that. Oh, yeah. He should. There are so many questions surrounding that roster. By far. They let everybody walk. I mean, everybody went to Detroit or Miami pretty much besides Brady going to Tampa. I mean, if they didn't go to the other place, it was pretty much Detroit and Miami that all his players left to go to to go with familiarity again once in Brian Flores and Matt Patricia. But he's already won Coach of the Year three times, and but he had Brady each of those times. So it just it just depends. It's It's tough, but – it's going to be – Brady has more around him than Tampa. You could easily look at it on paper and say Brady has a much better chance of being successful this year than Belichick does just by the talent that's around Brady. I mean, Mike Evans, Godwin, O.J. Howard. It's, they got – for days he's got talent around him. And name me a player on New England's roster right now, especially on offense, that is at the caliber of Mike Evans. Nobody. No, there isn't one. We're talking top three wide receivers. Exactly. So it's – it's tough to see Belichick doing it, but I mean, he is that evil genius everybody talks about, and maybe he figures out, maybe he sees something stid him, or maybe he just waits for the dust to settle on the Cam Newton, and then sees what uh, Cincinnati does with Dalton, and then, or maybe Jameis Winston on a, a prove-it deal. Who knows? We'll see where he goes from there, but it just looks like Tom Brady should, over the next better chance, successful playoffs, if not a, a deep run to the playoffs than Belichick does right now. Yeah, and you know, I have to mention, and this is an opinion that I've held for years, those early Super Bowls that they won, you harken back to the Rams when they beat the Rams, when they ended up beating the Carolina Panthers and the Philadelphia Eagles, those were very close games. And they wouldn't have been closest if it weren't for Bill Belichick and his defensive mind. If you remember early on, that type of defense that they ran in the early part of the 2000s, you know, that was kind of a novel defense. They did a lot of different things. They had so many good players. You know, you think Bruski, Ty Law, um, Richard Seymour. They had so many good players on those teams that really just kept them in games and kept them in Super Bowls. And so Belichick had a, a large part in those Super Bowls, of course, and every one of them. I don't want to take that away no, from you're... him, but – a lot of those games early on, if he weren't at the helm, I don't You're know if they right. won It starts way back to back when we was with the Giants. They stifled the Kagon offense, and they, they kept my Bills from winning a Super Bowl. 
But I'm just and then they yeah. come out, they stop the greatest show on turf, they slow down that Eagles offense. They 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 consistently and then even what their last Super Bowl when they beat the Rams, the Rams offense was absolutely incredible mm-hmm. that year. And he still found a way to stifle them, and it ended up being a very boring Super Bowl. But, I mean, that's what Bill Belichick does. He is going to slow down your tough offenses. But it's just now he doesn't have that consistency on the other side that's not going to turn the ball over, that just methodically moves the ball down the field. Brady's done it in many different ways. But, I mean, in the end, it was all about timing and him knowing where his players were 24-7. So he's not going to have that on the other side of the ball. So if that defense is leaned upon a lot more, are they going to be able to perform at the level they were through all those years? That's the question that's going to be asked this year, and we'll see what the answer is. Oh, we certainly will. Speaking of legacies, Craig, we got two young men in the AFC East trying to build on their own, and there's been a quite the controversy in the Twitterverse this week regarding these two. What are your thoughts? Yeah, over the past week, I know ever since Tom Brady left the division, uh, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold have come up a lot on who is the best and uh in the in the AFC East right now and uh it's been a big Twitter debate and I know Buffalo fans have been posting fumble uh, video clips of Sam Darnold and Jets fans have been posting overthrows by Josh Allen so it's been it's been quite the debate this week and I know we're going to get into uh our thoughts on it. Yeah, definitely. Well, we can look at They've both started about the same amount of games, 28 for Allen, the Darnold's 26. Completion percentage, pretty similar. Allen had 58.8 this year, and Darnold's overall was 59.9, so really pushing that big 60% threshold. Exactly, and the yardage was awfully similar, too. I know uh, Allen played in a few more games this season with uh, Darnold going out with his mononucleosis. That's what he had, and uh, they, they were worried – Bringing him back too quick, they'd hurt his spleen or whatever. But uh, Allen had 3,089 yards to Darnold's 3,024. But as far as passing touchdowns, similar. Allen had 20, Darnold had 19. But Darnold had uh, four more interceptions than Allen did. Hey, sure, sure did and had uh, seven more than Allen over their career, 28 to 21, respectively. Yeah, and the big thing, though, that separates both of them is the rushing yards. Yes. And, and I know last season, just alone, Allen had 510 rushing yards. He was averaging about 4.7 yards a clip. And then you had uh, Darnold, on the other hand, only having 62 rushing yards at 1.9 yards. But the big thing also was the touchdowns. Allen had nine rushing touchdowns last year compared to Darnold's two. Uh, most definitely. And he, he has uh, 17 over the last two years of his young career, which is incredible for a quarterback. I mean, he's right up there with Lamar Jackson. Exactly. So I know Lamar flashes with the, the amount of yardage and everything, but um, like I mentioned to you before, it's just it seems like when Allen gets into the red zone, there's no stopping him. He can be at the 10-yard line as soon as he tucks it to run. He's going to score a touchdown, and he's proven it over the last two years. And it's it's a weapon to have. And, I mean – yeah, Lamar Jackson proves it over and over and over again, but Allen's a different type of runner. He's not going to shake you. He's gonna, he has that deceptive speed that you don't really see in a quarterback, and he's a very big big uh, body to bring down too, so it's really tough. So that is definitely an element that Darnold doesn't have, and maybe that was because of the injury and they're not letting it happen, but I feel like Allen is a far superior athlete. Most definitely, and when you look at this from an opposing defense's perspective, when you got a quarterback that over the last two years has rushed for over 1,100 yards, so let's say you get him in a third and long situation and he breaks off and 
and ends up moving the chains, that is most certainly a back-breaking thing for a defense. Exactly, and you've seen it. I know I don't want to pick on Miami too much, but when Kiko Alonso was there, they were using him as a spy in a couple of those games. And Allen would just, he'd make one little step to the outside, and he was running by Kiko. And Kiko's a pretty fast linebacker. He's a good you know, athlete. Yeah, he had a couple surgeries, but I know he's still pretty quick. And Allen just made, it made it look bad. So if he's got that step, it's, it's impressive to see what he does. And, I mean, that's where his 47 total touchdowns over his career so far have come from. I know, uh, Darnold, what you were saying, he had 39 total touchdowns? Uh, 36 over oh, 36. his career in 26 games, yes. Okay, yeah, so he's, he's got him up there too, but it's just Allen, the, what he does on the ground definitely separates him from Darnold in their young career. Uh, most definitely, and sort of back to the turnover thing, and I know with Sam Darnold when he was coming out, the big question about him is he had a lot of turnovers his last year at USC. So over their career, Darnold has fumbled 15 times, fortunately only lost five. Allen has fumbled 22 times, losing six. So that is definitely a concern there too. But it's something we see with young quarterbacks, and especially, you know, not to get too heavy on the Giants here, but Daniel Jones, the criticism for him big time is the fumbles. But this is something young quarterbacks do. And if they can both correct the fumbling issues and the interceptions, we have two young quarterbacks headed for stardom in the AFC East. Yeah, it reared its ugly head last year with uh, Josh. I mean, you saw it in the playoff game too. We tried to do too much. Uh, ball security was definitely an issue that I know he wants to work on this offseason. But like you mentioned, it happens with a lot of young quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks can shake it, some can't. You still see all the problems with Kirk Cousins has with fumbles. So hopefully this offseason, uh, both of them are working on it so they can be a force to, uh, for some time to come. And undoubtedly here, we can't fail to mention the, the teams that they're on. You know, if we look at this holistically, Buffalo is by far a better team from the coaching staff on down than the New York football Jets. Yeah, they've made a concerted effort to try to obviously put the weapons around Josh. You bring in uh, John Brown last offseason, Cole Beasley last offseason. They built the lineup, bringing in Feliciano, uh, Quentin Spain, and then they drafted Cody Ford to go on with Deion Dawkins. Mm. And uh, they also brought in Mitch Morris. I don't want to forget about that. He was one of the prized uh, center free agents last year. So they bring in, they're, they're obviously, the Bills are trying to surround Josh with talent. And they've continued to do this offseason with Stephon Diggs, bringing in Stephon Diggs. That's a huge add. Now yep. flip it over to the other side for the Jets. They seem to swing and miss on every big name like Conklin and everything like that. Uh, they bring in some some fringe starters and, and Fant from uh, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, you know, he's a backup lineman there. I know they did bring in McGovern, uh, McGovern from Denver. Yeah. Yeah, McGovern from Denver, like that could be a good piece. But it just seems like on the line at least, and then with his receivers, they, they, didn't, they didn't bring back Robbie Anderson. Yes, they replaced him with uh, Perriman, but those aren't the same players. Perriman's only had, what, a good string of 10 games in his career, and maybe a little bit more than that, but not to what Robbie Anderson did. And they had a good connection, him and Robbie Anderson, Darnold did. So why are they – they're not helping their young quarterback out, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, who knows where they're headed, and I firmly believe Gase will be in the hot seat if this team does not compete this year. I agree. I'll just give him a little bit like Herndon, their tight end. He had a solid rookie year, but last year he was out with the suspension and then got hurt his first game back. So maybe bringing Herndon back into that offense will help out Sam Darnold because I know uh, they had a pretty good connection uh, closing out the 2018 season. So maybe that will help the young quarterback, but Gase needs to figure out in a hurry 
because I think obviously they've invested in Darnold. They tra- they made that trade with what Indy, I think, when they when they did move up in the draft that year. So they made the it investment in Darnold. So Darnold needs to work. Um, Gase, if Gase doesn't work, Gase could be finding work elsewhere, where and they'll bring in another coach to help to try one last ditch effort to get Darnold to where he needs to be. Yeah, another thing I want to point out is I, I hate to just look at stats and go from there, but if you you also got to look at players with your eye, right? Do they pass the eye test? And one of the most telling things for me was with Sam Darnold. I think it was this last year on Thursday Night Football. He was mic'd up, and uh, they were playing the New England Patriots, and this was sort of uh, – you could hear this everywhere. Everyone was talking about it, was he was seeing ghosts. And what does he mean by that? He was feeling the pressure. He was focused on the pressure instead of keeping his eyes down the field. That is very disconcerting for a a potentially a franchise quarterback that he's feeling the pressure. Whereas Allen, you know, as we have seen before, he had what six come from behind wins. He's kind of a baller, if you will. Exactly. And you saw that on Thanksgiving, everybody was watching primetime game on Thanksgiving. It was a fourth and one and he got, he got stopped a little bit behind the line of scrimmage, but he kept fighting. And then he Superman dove for the first down. And when he got up and he did his uh, first down chop, it got everybody going and you can just see the team rally around him. And that's the big difference. It's, it seems like Josh has that it factor that rallies a team. Teams want Players want to fight for him. Players say when they get in the building with him, he's one of the guys. It's just It just seems like he's got that fire. And that maybe like might help with the come-from-behind wins. You're never out of game if you have Josh Allen. I don't feel that with Darnold. I feel like Darnold, yes, he's got some of the stats. I know he's had, what, four 300-yard games to Josh's none. That could come down to... Uh, team philosophy and how they the Bills run the ball a little bit more and everything like that. But at the same time, you can throw out the stats. If you have someone that knows how to win, that uh, has the nose for winning, it can lead a, a group of men to a victory. It just seems like Josh definitely has the clear advantage right now. Oh, definitely. I mean, we see it time and again. It's not so much about the stat sheet as how well the guy performs in the fourth quarter. That's most important, a la Eli Manning. By far, exactly. I wasn't a big Eli fan, but at the same time, he did pull it out. He would have his team rally around him at the end, and you saw it in the Super Bowls. And Josh has a little bit of that right there. And He does that sort of just, moxie. Exactly. You just don't feel it with Darnold yet. Now, that could come. That could change this year. And uh, I know uh, Josh was trying to will him to the, the win in the playoffs and everything, and maybe that came back and bit him a little bit because it seems like he was trying to play too much hero ball at that point, but Darnold hasn't got to play in the playoffs yet. That's my little jab at the Jets. But uh, <laughs> so we'll see if he's got that eventually. But I, I just feel like right now going forward, I would give the nod to Allen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, something like this, and as in many other cases, only time will tell, my friend. Time will definitely tell. This is a big year for them, like we mentioned before. Year three is going to be gigantic. It's just – I feel like Josh is more set up in the stability of the Bills organization right now. Um, it just seems like it's in his favor, but, I mean, Sam could take a big step and we could all be saying something different next year at this time. So time will tell. That's right. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Thanks again for joining in the Good to Go Football. My name is Jordan Jenks, again, my co-host. Craig Pitcher. Thanks for joining us. Be smart, be safe, and be sure to tune in next time. Thank you. Have have a good one, and don't forget to hit us up on Twitter, and then we're also available on Apple Podcasts now. So uh, be safe like Jordan said, and we'll catch you next time.